0: My guest this week is Stuart Atkins, marketing professor, agency owner and author from California. We talk about marketing academia and why marketing should be about matchmaking customer needs to offers rather than manipulation and intrusion. Welcome to episode 242 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business, and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. And I know that at the moment, with the COVID-19 lockdown, you might not be listening to as many podcasts as normal. I have to say, that's the same with me. I've been going for my daily walk. I'm lucky to live quite close to some fields so I can get out into the fresh air and normally when I go for a walk I plug my headphones in and I listen to podcasts but during the lockdown I've found that I've been listening to music. (laughs) A lot of prog rock, quite a lot of heavy metal going back to my roots. Maybe podcasts aren't a priority for a lot of people anymore. So if you're listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast, I'd really like to thank you, doubly so, for doing that. I've read quite a few articles recently that suggest that marketing academia is out of touch with the real world. Indeed, marketing professors are teaching marketing back in the 60s, rather than thinking about the trends and the digital technology that we have today. My guest this week, Stuart Atkins, who is a marketing professor from California, definitely blows this theory. Yes, he's a marketing professor, but he's also an author and he runs his own very successful marketing agency. So he's seeing it from the academic side and the real world side. And we have an absolutely fascinating conversation all about matchmaking customer needs to offers to propositions rather than marketing being about manipulation and intrusion. Please do get your notebooks out take some notes because this is a fabulous interview. So let's get straight into that interview with Stuart right here on the Marketing and Finance podcast. Stuart, welcome to the Marketing and Finance podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Stuart, where are we Zooming each other from? Now I'm in Edinburgh, UK, as always. I'm in
1: Orange County, California, Southern California, between, uh, LA and San Diego to keep
0: it simple. Oh, fantastic. We do actually have a bit of a connection then because my elder sister lives in Venice in, uh, just, just as part of Los Angeles. She's lived there for goodness over, over 35 years now. So, uh, interesting, uh, interesting that you can come from exactly the same part of the world as part of my family.
1: Oh, that's great. I have a sister also that lived in, uh, Marina del Rey and the Venice area for many years. And I know that area well and right near the ocean and uh, it's a great area.
0: Yeah. Now, Stuart, you're a, a marketing professor, a part-time marketing professor. You're also a marketing agency owner and you're a speaker, marketing blogger. Uh, so definitely, definitely a man after my own heart. And I- I'd like to dig deep on a couple of these topics today and, and especially get your opinion on the state of the marketing profession, perhaps from an academic point of view. But before we get into that, Stuart, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and, and basically what makes Stuart Atkins tick? Uh,
1: okay, thank you. Greg, and Great question. I'm a Midwestern boy. I grew up in Indiana. I, I moved to California 35 years ago to come to graduate school out here. And uh, I, I'm a I grew up in the PC industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started working in marketing when IBM and Apple just released their their personal computers. So I grew up in high tech. Uh, later on, uh, picked up an MBA at Pepperdine University and. Also, while at the same time was working at Toshiba American Information Systems uh, and Kingston Technology, my marketing background from the corporate world spans product management, marketing research, a little bit of sales research. I did a lot of writing in that area. And then uh, near the end of my corporate career, went through a couple of layoffs and I paused and I said, wait a minute, I've been doing marketing for everybody else. Why don't I Why don't I do it for myself and start to help other companies? Mm -hmm. So I founded Atkins Marketing Solutions in 2008. Uh, I didn't even realize I had an entrepreneurial spirit until I dove in and just did it. And it was one of the best decisions that I ever made starting my own company. It wasn't easy at the beginning, but it's been very rewarding. In fact, 2019 was my best revenue year ever. Uh, My agency has been gradually uh, growing. And like I said, last year was a great year on the teaching side. When I when I started my own agency to kind of help the kid from a cash flow standpoint, and I advise entrepreneurs, uh, it, it's very smart to have multiple revenue streams, especially at the beginning. Mm. So I wrote a book. I went back into teaching. I started building my business, and uh, that those multiple revenue streams were very helpful. I was fortunate in the fact that my spouse, who's an RN, she's a nurse. We had some cash flow and food on the table while I could build my business. And fortunately, she was very supportive. Got a little concerned when I came home and said, honey, I'm going to start my own business. But <laughs> it, it, it's now she's actually liking it. And it's 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 been very rewarding I went back into teaching and I teach at the largest School of Business in California it's the Mahalo College of Business and Economics I, I teach uh, MBA students and upper division seniors so they're graduating within a couple of semesters great students uh, students that are that are most of them working full-time they don't have that entitlement type of mentality it's a it's a program that's a very strong program a very entrepreneurial very practical practical and business oriented. And so uh, I was balancing both teaching and running my own business. As my business started to grow, I I had to fill the marketing funnel. So I speak every month, at least every month, I do a lot of public speaking. And I decided to write a couple of books and you you don't become wealthy writing a book. (laughs) In most cases, it's not easy to become a bestseller. But what, what the book does, both my books have done, they provide a credibility factor. And I think entrepreneurs sometimes forget that you know they have a they have a story to tell and writing a book can be a very effective way to generate kind of a big thick business card that, that that screams credibility if you write a good book and so i've i've tried to apply multiple revenue streams and multiple ways to fill my funnel as far as leads go for my business but also try to give back to the community at the same time and and I can honestly say it was probably the best decision I ever made for my career to start my own company.
0: We have so many similarities in our history. Just hearing you tell that story now, I'm almost like just ticking off my experiences as well. Um, I, I was at university 30 years ago. Uh, I did part marketing degree. The other part was economics. Um, I My early career was in pro- product management, um, you know, developing products, Researching customer needs, that sort of thing. I rose to the level of marketing director within many big corporates within the United Kingdom. And in 2012, I decided to leave big corporate and set up my own marketing consultancy. And I guess the final tick in the box for me, I I should have said, I I also do a lot of, of speaking. I've been at quite a lot of conferences over the last four or five years. And the last tick in the box is. Getting closer is my my first book is out there at the moment for beta reading i 've got a load of people reading the what I hope is the near final draft uh, before I press the button on the on publish so Lots of similarities in our experience. What, I, what I'd be quite interested in is you just give me a little bit more detail, Stuart, in the in the topics that you talk about with your students. Is it a is it a general marketing course that you're teaching, or are you specific in a certain area, or is it just part the marketing part of the MBA that's that's going on?
1: I've actually when I when I first started out teaching at Mahalo, in 2008, I was teaching a lot of different courses. I I was teaching principles of marketing, consumer behavior, marketing research, marketing information technology, the various aspects of digital marketing, marketing research. And over the past uh, three or four years i've I've specialized in one course called Internet Marketing Strategy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I teach that the internet marketing strategy class has been my main, my main focus, as I mentioned, I used to teach two or three classes in a semester, sometimes four. Now it's down just to one because my agency is growing. But I, internet marketing strategy and the digital marketing side has has really been my focus. And what I try to do is I try to bring the real world into the classroom. Uh, before I start each class section, I, I, I do what I call as a small business story of the week. Okay. I say to my students you've got I've got 40 seniors in there I say a couple of MBAs and I say okay drum roll they do the drum roll on the table and then I then I tell them an actual case study from a client that I've worked with mm-hmm. and I go through that case study and I bring that real world atmosphere into the classroom not just the academic part that's important but I really strive to bring the real world into the classroom and I for this internet marketing strategy class it's kind of been my mainstay as I mentioned Uh, The first night of class, I tell them, I said, if you take this class seriously, this class will get you a job, get you an internship, get you a job. And I have numerous testimonials from students that that can vouch for that. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm anything magical, but it does show that uh, if you bring the real world into the classroom and show students that, that the nuggets beyond the book, and what really impacts uh, small, medium, enterprise-level businesses and what the real world of marketing is about, it, it can be very effective and impact both their, their, their career and their lives. So I really try to make it practical and real world.
0: And and that leads me on to thinking about one of the things that, this this subject comes up on the Marketing and Finance podcast frequently, and, and I guess it's, a, a, apart from the fact that I find a lot of companies make marketing needlessly complicated, and that's probably a, a topic for a, a different day, one of the things that I, as a career marketer, I would describe myself as a career marketer, one of the things that worries me about today's approach to marketing is that all we ever seem to hear about is the communications element. Now, of course, as I said, I, I did a marketing degree 30 odd years ago and, and I've been in marketing ever since. And I was always, I always focused on the good old fashioned four P's of marketing, the product, the price, the place or the distribution and and, and the promotion. Yeah. and And of course the The P of promotion is part of marketing, but it's not the only part. And yet today, it seems to me, if I go to a marketing conference, it's pretty much all about the communication elements. So you need to be doing email marketing or social media marketing or content marketing or advertising. I very rarely hear people talk about customer research or identification of customer needs, customer segmentation product development and pricing of those products, setting goals, strategy, it always seems to come down to, you need to be sending out emails, you need to be doing... And and I just worry that the marketing profession is becoming relabeled as purely a communications function. And perhaps all of those other parts, if they're being done at all, the, the research and the product development have almost been taken away from marketing and and as somebody has been doing it for so long and has always been involved in the research and the product and the communication i I, f- I feel that that's a shame because in my view how can I communicate with my customer unless I've been involved in the whole process starting with the research and ending with the communication as a college professor and obviously a, a, a practicing marketer what, what's your view on that Stuart Uh,
1: well, it's interesting. I, I wrote a blog, I, uh, my website has a blog post, uh, many blogs about, you know, close to 350 blog posts on marketing. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrote a email newsletter uh, a couple of years ago and I entitled the subject line, are we over marketing? Mm -hmm. And that topic resonated with so many people because, and I, I think it, It dips from the same stream that you're talking about, Roger. Then sometimes we maybe we tend to Mm overmarket. Now I I think the 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 research and the product management and understanding your customer first. If you put in the time and the effort to do that, and I think customer personas come into this also.
0: Yeah, where
1: where you can actually uh, are you talking? Are you are you targeting a soccer mom? Are you targeting an enterprise level? executive? Are you targeting a wonderluster that likes to go out into nature, drive Subarus and, and camp outside in their spare time? Yeah. Who really is your customer? So I think if in the, the research part and understanding who your customer is, if that's done first, uh, the content marketing, the communication uh, is, is so much better. Now I think co- content is it is important, but you've got to be able to write content that's going to resonate and is going to connect with who your customer is. That's why it's so important that we, that we understand who our customer is. And the beauty of digital marketing now is, and uh, my agency is focusing more and more on paid search, mm-hmm. uh, pay-per-click marketing and paid search advertising. The reason being, it it, it, doesn't, it doesn't create demand, but it captures demand it captures intent. And I think if we can, if we can capture the intent of what the customer, our potential customer is already looking for, it makes marketing that much easier, easier. Uh, rather than just throwing all this content on the wall and hope it's going to stick like, like jello. If we take the time, like you're saying to, to do the research, to understand the customer and then shape our content, and our advertising and our communication based on customer needs, we're, we're much better off because that way you're you're resonating with what a customer is already is already looking for rather than trying to force sheer volume on them and overmarket as I as I uh, referred to. So you really have to and that gets back to customer experience also.
0: Yeah.
1: I have an associate partner that specializes in customer experience and uh, really understanding, you know, the thought process, the emotions, the reasons that go behind why someone bothers to even purchase a product, and the research involved in that. So I fully agree with you, Roger, that the marketing research and the understanding who the real customer is is critically important. And we don't just want to blanket everyone and and overmarket to the degree that it turns people off. We get so many messages every day. Uh, That's why I I really, it just resonates with me. If I can really tap into the intent of where the customer's going, what they're looking for, it makes the process so much easier because you're you're starting with a warm lead, with a warm customer, someone who's already looking for your product or service, rather than trying to just a shotgun approach that that overmarkets to them.
0: I absolutely agree with this. And I, we're recording this on the 9th of April, and we're right in the middle of the coronavirus lockdown. I haven't been yeah. very much further than uh, a, down the end of the garden and a walk around the fields for nearly three weeks now. And the number of emails I get in my inbox at the best of times is far too high from people who are constantly bombarding me with what I would describe as crap messages for products that I don't want from companies that I've I can't even remember subscribing to. And yet in the middle of this crisis, a lot of marketers seem to have ramped up the amount of communication, you know, so they're using the coronavirus tagline as another excuse to send out even more rubbish messages for, for services Mm -hmm. and products that I don't want. And again, I keep coming back to it. Well, you know, just sit back for a moment and actually reassess what are, the, what are the things that, the, that your customers are feeling at the moment? You know, the, the mental health worries they might have, or how am I going to feed the family because I've lost my job, or my work has closed down, or if I'm self-employed, I've, I've had speaking gigs cancelled. Try to understand the, where the customer is and what their issues are, and then pivot your product or your proposition to help them And then communicate that need rather than just bombarding people with clueless messages that they don't want. And and marketing is annoying at the best of times when you, when you get it wrong. But at a time like this, I I just can't understand why people have ramped up the levels of communication when in fact it's a great opportunity to perhaps revise their proposition to be much more engaging.
1: Yeah. It's a great point you make. Hey, let me illustrate this exactly. uh, Specifically, I recently wrote. I wrote a blog post about this topic you just brought up, mm-hmm. and and I struggled with it at first, Roger, because I didn't want to come across as self-serving. That was that was the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want people to open up this blog post and say, "Oh no, this is another coronavirus <laughs> blog post or email." Yeah. So I, I, Charles Dickens' uh, book, The Tale of Two Cities. Mm-hmm first line in the book, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah. Uh, I started the post off with that and I wanted to communicate, okay, how can we help each other? And and I tried to communicate, you know, I'm concerned about the impact it could have on my business, the partners, the employees, the independent contractors, my clients and Mm. their customers too, because it's impacting everybody. As you know, we're in new territory here. So I, I really struggled writing this post because like I said, I didn't want to come across self-serving, but I wanted to try to to help small businesses. And I, I, you know, I came up with 15 tips, but I tried to put it together. How can I help your business and how can I help your career based on what I've gone through? Because I started my business in 2008, the beginning of a recession and Microsoft started in a recession. FedEx started in a recession. General Electric started in a recession. A lot of great companies in the world started during economic downturns. Mm-hmm. I, I I tried to put together content that was helpful rather than trying to to you know just just jump on the the virus bandwagon so to speak. Yeah, and it's it's not easy because because. I even have a client I have a client that's a large uh, publicly held global company specializes in the IT and medical device networking market. Yeah. And we're actually able to increase their leads at this time simply because they they're sustaining themselves well because there's a demand for their product. Even a company like that is concerned about they don't want to come across self-serving. They don't want to they don't want to be seen as using this crisis as an opportunity. Rather than a, a a a way to help people and to give back and to, you know, to sympathize with what people are going through, so it's and, but it resonated with people. But I really struggled. You know, do you not say anything or do you try to say something that might help?
0: Yeah, I think the help is the most important thing, and I I guess I guess one of my mantras has always been that. Yes, we do talk about marketing being promotional and and, and cr- communication and that sort of thing. But I've always had it in my head that marketing is about helping people whether it's helping people to understand your product, I guess that's what advertising does in, to a certain extent. But I think it always has to be about help as opposed to the the intrusive interruption that we sometimes see, or not sometimes, very often see a lot of marketing takes. Uh, so I think the help word is incredibly important to engage with the customer and, and actually make them want to do business with you rather than repel you rep, rep, uh, repel them away from doing business with you.
1: I, I exactly I couldn't agree more Roger and I I always say I always say good marketing is not manipulation mm-hmm. good good marketing finds a match between a customer that needs your product needs your service and that matches between that customer and what your business what your products or what your services have to offer. So, so the best marketing really is matching the right customer to the right product with, without having to manipulate someone into that interest or it's, it's fulfilling a need. And it's a hard balance because we live in a competitive world. We we, we have to be competitive, but on the other hand, I think it does get back to customer experience. If you can fulfill a need and if you can find the match and don't force manipulation, it's really important. And a point you made the, the word interruption—I th- I think it's so important in marketing that it's permission-based marketing. Yeah, Seth Godin wrote that famous book years ago: permission-based marketing or permission marketing, I think, was the title. And so, so we we have to we have to earn our audiences. We don't want to go out and buy an email marketing list. Uh, we need to ask them for permission. We need to get their permission to engage with us. And I think offering value and realizing we don't want to interrupt their lives, but we want to fulfill needs. We don't want to manipulate. We want to communicate and resonate with what they really need. It's, and it's, it's not an easy balance to find. And I think we need to offer value and not try to force our messaging upon people. And, uh, Unfortunately, in the digital world, I, I guess I, could, I should say fortunately and unfortunately, content really does drive where the search engines go and where people can, can search and find us. And most experiences start with the search engine. But we, I think it's just so important, Roger, and I know you agree with me. I can hear that in the sentiment of your question, finding the match between it's a match, not a manipulation. Yeah. and it's, it's not an easy balance.
0: One of the other things that I've seen since the coronavirus um, crisis started is that quite a lot of the small businesses, the sort of small businesses I tend to work with as a consultant, it has been a bit of a wake up call for them, perhaps for some who haven't done much marketing in the past, um, there's been a lot more interest in putting together a marketing strategy from people who I would class as my customers. Now, quite <laughs> quite often, if I use the word strategy, um, I often get the door slammed in my face because, going back to what we said before, people have that image that it's just about the communication. We want you to help us with our Twitter. We want you to help us with our email. We want you to help us with our content. And if I say, well, Let's talk about your marketing strategy first. I often get that, or oh, we don't want strategy, we just want to do the marketing. But I think that the crisis has actually made. Some people sit back and think, do you know what? Your I haven't got a real marketing strategy, and I need yeah. to get one in place. And uh, yeah. so I've I've really I've, I've I've taken that as a very encouraging sign. And and of course, you've written a book, Small Business Marketing. Do, do you do you find the same sort of thing? And is and is that the reason why you actually wrote a book about it?
1: Yeah, I think it is important. That, for example, it's the difference between a business plan and a business model. Mm. And it's the difference between uh, just going with where the wind blows versus having a strategy and looking looking at at your business uh, from a tactical standpoint, from a strategic standpoint it is really important. That's what the class I teach: Internet Marketing Strategy. Yeah. You don't just you don't just throw up a website and from the Kevin Costner Field of Dreams movie, <laughs> build it, and they, build it, and they will come. Yeah. You, you, there has to be a strategic plan. There has to be a purpose. I mean, a, a, a business model focuses on how are you going to make money? How are you going to generate revenue? Where a business plan focuses on the day-by-day infrastructure and functionality of a business. Mm. So I, I think small, medium, and large businesses, it's really extremely important to focus on, on the business model. What really is your model? How are you going to generate revenue? And there does need to be a strategic plan, but sometimes I, and that blog post I was referring to, I, I tried to encourage in the, in the midst of this coronavirus to encourage businesses to sit down and say, Hey, we work, we work so often in our business that we fail to work on our business. So take, take this time, take this extra time where you may be quarantined in your home and take the time to work on your business. Mm. Maybe really, you know, take a look at your PL statement. Take a look at your balance sheet. Um, what are your ratios? Do you need to connect with some past customers? Do you, you know, uh, for, for example, good marketing is actually math, and good mm-hmm. marketing is looking at the financials. And even though I, I'm an MBA, I, I failed in some of those areas, not being really willing to look, hard and fast at my financials as often as I as I need to. And I'm starting to do that more because it's important. But working working on our business and not just in our business is really important. And I think we need to sit back and really think strategically where are we going? Why are we doing this? And and what do the numbers tell us? And it, it does need to be results based, but there's also the human element of marketing too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely really, really good advice. Now as I said earlier, I've written a book myself, and the, the the book is about it's about putting together a marketing strategy. But the the other thing I mentioned that uh, that winds me up a little bit is complexity, and the book is all about helping people to put together simple marketing strategies. So I I, I try to create a, a framework that doesn't use terminology like the four Ps and and things like that. But what yeah. I, what I'm what I set out to do is exactly what you said earlier in the in the um chat, that it's it's a thick business card. I'm under no illusions that I've written a bestseller that's gonna sell millions and millions of copies. It's not gonna appear on any bestseller lists unless I go and find some obscure bestseller list in some unknown country or something like that, or in some unknown segment. Um it's purely going to be a business card. Credibility, I think, was the word that you used. I want to use yeah. it to get more customers. I want to use it to get more speaking gigs because the speaking part, if we ever get back to normality, the speaking part is a very important part of what I do. So as somebody who's published a couple of books and bearing in mind that I'm, I i don't feel the need to do a gigantically big marketing campaign to try and get myself on any bestseller lists, what would be the advice that you would give to me just about to press the publish button?
1: Let me tell you a story that <clears throat> I think you're going to like. Um, we, we, we've, we've touched on the content yeah. and there's so much content out there. So there's a balanced part of that too. Content can be extremely powerful.
0: Mm.
1: Let me tell you a quick story. I wrote a blog post in 2012 entitled entitled the product and the toilet seat. <laughs> And the toilet seat failed in our home, and my wife, the nurse, sent me to Home Depot to find a new toilet seat. And if you go to these large big box retailers that sell home improvement products, there's a section of the aisle, there's probably 50 toilet seats. There's wooden toilet seats. There's metal toilet seats. There's toilet seats that will play music. There's toilet seats that will wash you. There's stainless steel toilet seats. They're priced from $4 all the way up to hundreds of dollars. And... I saw all those toilet seats, I took a picture of them, and I said, that's a great idea for a blog post. So I wrote this blog post, and I, I, I talked about turning a commodity product into a niche product. The CEO of a $10 million toilet seat company read that blog post. He Then he started to read my blogs for two years. He bought my first book, and then in 2014, that that CEO became a six figure client for me, mm-hmm. all because of one blog post that I wrote about a toilet seat. And he's a manufacturer of, of, of high end, premier type toilet seats. <laughs> and uh, it, it shocked me into reality, Roger, because I thought, good grief, uh, you know, content is extremely powerful, it, it's very powerful. And he, he, he bought also bought that first book that I wrote and he read that. And then as a result of writing that I, I engaged with him, it resonated with him and it, it, it woke me up to the fact that, wow, sometimes content can, it it revolutionized how I look at at the power of what you write and what you communicate. So I would say to, to, to small business owners or anyone who's going to write a book uh, I think every person has a story and they don't realize the power of that story. And the best marketing encompasses story marketing, telling the story, the story I just told you. Yeah. When I speak in public, I tell that story about the product in the toilet seat. People love it. Yeah. We just never know something that we say are right and how powerful that can be and what that can resonate and how that can translate into your business. That simple 400 word blog post, you know, revolutionized my business that year and had has an, had an impact up to this day. And I still chuckle when I think about it, but, but content is powerful. And I think like yourself, I think it's fantastic. You're writing a book and it forces us to think about our business. It forces us to think about our customers. It does provide a a credibility factor. There's marketing gurus left and right these days, but a book shows that you can think for yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you can't think for yourself as a business owner and as a consultant why would anybody want to want want to hire you to think for them? Yeah, so I think the ability to write content, to write a book or, or more, uh, is powerful. Uh, even though we get flooded with content, the right content for the right customers, if it's thoughtful, uh, can can be a can be a powerful tool. So I don't want to underestimate the the right place of of content and of writing. I'm I'm not sure I answered your question fully with regard to the functionality or the specifics of how I write my books. But I have a couple of tips in that area too, if you're interested.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's explore them. Let's explore them.
1: Um, So when I write a book, I I try to keep it very simple. Uh, uh, My second book, it it was entitled winning the battle for attention, internet marketing for small business. And uh, I heard, I think I heard Seth Godin one time say that phrase, winning the battle for attention. And I thought, wow. That's what it's all about. There really is a battle out there. So I tried, when I wrote that book, I tried to take um, stories, anecdotal stories and things I had learned since I started my business to present and put those in the various chapters. So what I did was I, I just outlined, I outlined the chat, the topics I wanna to cover for each chapter, there's 12 chapters in an appendix. So I, 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 I picked the top, the 12 topics, Then within each chapter, I just brainstorm on the subtitle, the subcategory topics. So I've got the topic and then the subcategories, the subtitles for each chapter. Then I just go in and you could, one page a day. If you can write one page a day or a half a page a day, think of it. If you write one page a day, you've got a 365-page book in one year. If you write half a page a day, you've got a 150-page book. 365 pages is probably a little long in our, in our OCD digital world. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, keeping it simple. So I, I like to start with a basic outline and one page a day, half a page a day, and just sit down and write, don't overthink it. But if you have the outline of the topic and then the subtitles, uh, and then, and then just start writing under each of the subtitles. And then at the end of each chapter, have a QA, and a have some questions, have some, some answers. What are some key leading questions? So so. But a lot of people get overwhelmed starting to write a book and where do I start and how do I do this? But if you just think one page a day, it really makes it manageable and you just have to be disciplined as you do it. But a, a simple... Outline is critical. And if you write based on the outline and you write a half a page or one page a day and and stay with the discipline, Now, some days you you may write three to five pages. Some days you may not write at all. But if you stick with the consistency of one page a day, it makes, makes a huge difference. And, and I heard that tip years ago and I applied it and it really worked for me.
0: I really like that. And in some ways, I I wish that I'd had that insight when I set out to write my own book. But of course, you could apply that not just to writing a book, it could be setting up your own blog, you know, a page a day could be a blog post. So I, I, I like that getting into the consistency of producing something every day, whether it's one page, half a page, whatever you say.
1: It's really important. And I mean, if you think about it, establish a content calendar. There's 52 weeks in a year, one topic a week. Now, the problem I had for for a blog, for example, the problem I had was, I, I, you know, the first few years, I just was writing like crazy. And then I got so busy with my business, I, I tended to slack a little on that. So I really have to force myself with the consistency. Most small businesses, if they would just write one one to two posts a month, they're going to be ahead of the game relative to their competitors. And the consistency is important. And uh, fortunately and unfortunately, search engines thrive on content, Yeah, live on content. It's like an ant and food. An ant has to have food to live and Google and Bing and Baidu and, and Ask and all the major search engines. Uh, they thrive for content and it's it, that dynamic, fresh. Uh, Regular content is really important, but there's a discipline factor involved. If you can't come up with the discipline yourself, it's worth sometimes to hire someone to to help you with the writing, keep it consistent. But uh, uh, the consistency, one or two times a month, one or two posts a month, but keep it focused on your business topic. And, uh, you know, don't write about yoga if you're specializing in digital marketing. Don't write about motorcycles if you're specializing in website development. Keep it focused. And, and the consistency of the content is really important. And we live in a world where the search engines, from a, from a free organic traffic standpoint, they're going to ignore you unless there's regular fresh content. And so it is very important. And blogging is important, but the discipline factor is not easy. It's, and it's difficult to be disciplined, but it's critical.
0: Absolutely. And do you know what? Um, The last question I usually ask on the podcast is what's the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take from all the experience you've had throughout your career? And I think that is probably the answer that you would have given. And I think that's the answer that I'm going to take. It's that consistency and that focus and coming up with something, a page a day, half a page a day, whatever it might be. That is such good advice for any small business owners listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast today. Stuart, it's been fabulous talking to you today. Lots and lots of things that we agree on, lots of shared topics and I'm hoping that people listening to the show might want to get in touch with you. So tell me, what's the best way that people should connect with you?
1: Oh, thank you, Roger. I, I appreciate that. Well, my website is AtkinsMarketingSolutions.com. It's the best way to connect with me. I have uh, some almost 350 blog posts, a lot of free marketing information on my website. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of content, uh, both my information about my books are on there and my business and my career and uh, business focus from a digital marketing standpoint.
0: Fantastic. And I will include the link to the website in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. Stuart, it's been fabulous talking to you this afternoon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Let me wish you every success for the future. And the next time I'm over in Venice visiting my sister, I'll, I'll look you up.
1: Thank you, Roger. It's been a very fruitful conversation. I appreciate your, your kindness and the insight of your questions. Uh, next time you are in the Southern California, LA area, I'm not a surfer, but I, I can show you the sunshine here. Uh, I wish all your uh, listeners and your business the best success in this environment. We'll get through this and there is light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.